Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. I'm Pablo Astorga, Global Sales Manager, Microgrids with ABB. If you're looking for the best info and tips on how to develop and sell solar and microgrids in Latin America, look no farther. Welcome to Suncast with my friend Nico Johnson. Hey there, and welcome to part two of episode 10 on Suncast, the only podcast dedicated to the solar professionals in Latin America. If you haven't yet listened to the previous episode, I encourage you to go do that, as it gives a great introduction to today's guest, Karen Berardo, and some nuggets of wisdom you don't want to miss. Who am I? I'm Nico Johnson, and I'm so grateful you're joining me today for another conversation with solar industry experts and thought leaders. This is the place for you to learn, listen in on friendly conversations while I tease out stories on personal and professional growth, market development, and industry trends with folks from the front lines. We're digging up the timeless truths and lessons learned along the career path of some of the most experienced folks in the solar industry. It helps also that I've got personal experience in Latin America and solar for more than a decade. Whether you're listening on your commute, your lunch break, or even a long flight, it's my hope that this show provides you the insights and resources to lead the solar revolution in Latin America, the fastest growing solar market in the world. Today on Suncast, we're still exploring this new format using a two-part approach to the conversation to break it up into a more digestible format. If you're familiar with the show, you'll recognize the second half of today's show is where you'll find the familiar personal development and market outlook segments, like hot or not. What do you think of this new format? Shoot me an email at nico at mysuncast.com or tweet me at Nico Mayo with your comments. Today's topics, we'll talk about standing out in a crowded EPC space. And about 10 minutes in, Karin talks about what a developer should be paying attention to when entering into a new market. She shares on keeping balance, her reading habits, and how she keeps up with the headlines. She'll talk a little bit about how she learned to deal with irrational people and adapt and think fast on her feet, and the one thing she consistently does that yields the greatest impact in her life. And she opens up about task management, prioritization, doing the right things to progress as a company and as an individual. And stick around all the way to the end to see what markets Karin thinks are hot and which ones are not. I'm so glad to have you here again today on another episode of Suncast. Let's also make sure that we're building something that we can that we have an exit for. That there's going to be another investor who will come into this project when it's a lower risk asset, and they're just looking for, um, you know, a, a core asset, a, a yielding cash flowing asset, and and so really, you know, knowing that there's a full life cycle on this project, and it's not enough just to make sure that all of the permitting is done right. It's what are we building for the next 25 or 30 years in our infrastructure. And speaking of uh, building for 25 years infrastructure, that's something that M&W knows a, a, a thing or two about. You were telling me just a, a few things I didn't really, um, I don't think I knew about M&W. My understanding has been that you guys 
just generally our EPCs, but um, you know, MNW stands apart from just your typical EPC crowd. You've been around for over 100 years, correct? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think it's 104 years now since the company was first founded in Germany. And uh, it actually got its start uh, back in the Industrial Revolution around ventilation systems and air air quality control systems. Um, so it, it is uh, not probably not your typical solar EPC company, but very much a diversified global company. And you guys have not always built solar. <laughs> plants the way that we like to think about solar plants, correct? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we, we basically, so we're, we're 7,000 people in 35 countries, and uh, energy, the, our energy practice is, is probably one of the smaller groups within the company. Um, one of our largest activities is in um, high-tech infrastructure and advanced technology facilities. Um, MNW is actually, in fact, it's the global leader in solar cell and module production around the world. Solar plants. Solar plants. <laughs> so we have been involved in um, building over 13 gigawatts of solar module manufacturing capability. Um, for Crazy. the last you, I looked, who are some of your customers? Well, we've, we um, have. Are you at Liberty to say? Absolutely. I mean, we, we built the um, sun power plant in Mexicali. Uh, a couple wow. years ago, and we've been very involved with First Solar, um, continue to work on a plant for them in Malaysia, um, and then involved in a lot of the companies along the supply chain as well. So the solar manufacturers, the, the cell manufacturers, the wafer manufacturers, the glass manufacturing companies. Um, it really right. is anything that's built um, along that line. It's anything that's built in a clean room clean room technology and automation facilities where um, M&W can come to the fore and really provide comprehensive automation and advanced technology solutions to our customers. Yeah. And you're like 7,000 strong, you said. So what I hear there, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be a naysayer. I'm not, try, not trying to poke fun at you. But what I hear is M&W is a very large company with robust expertise and deep engineering. And what I think some of our Perhaps our counterparts, uh, more uh, smaller, nimble EPCs, might hear overhead, overhead, <laughs> overhead. So, what I'm what I'm wondering, where where EPC in the solar industry is a single digit margin mm -hmm. game in most cases. How, how does how do you compete? How do you stand apart from the crowd? Yeah, no, it's it's a very good point, and um, sometimes it's easier than others. But I think the most important thing was that in 2013, M&W acquired Gerlicker Solar America, um, which is a very nimble. Um, I would even characterize it as a little bit scrappy compared to uh, the larger MNW uh, platform. Um, you know, getting solar done is pulling the pieces together and being out in the field, um, you know, sometimes in the mud and the dirt and, and um, solving problems and getting systems built. And so compared to the M&W the semiconductor business where it might be a system that takes uh, three or four years to build, um, you know, we we probably built several dozen systems last year in the northeast of the United States alone. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and so it's very quick turnaround, quick um, processes, 
And really the benefit, I think, of a team that has done this together for a long time um, has seen a lot of different issues and opportunities, both on the commercial side and the utility scale side, um, and is able to adapt and respond very quickly. Uh, so we have most of our engineering is um, fairly centralized, uh, you know, and able to benefit and quickly deploy resources efficiently and effectively and, and kind of benefit from the latest knowledge and discussion of what's working, what's not working, and how we can, how we can do better. And you have a big office uh, of engineers in Mexico as well, right? We do. We've been in Mexico, I want to say probably around three or four years now. Um, we have about 50 people down there. And, um, you know, that gives us just tremendous advantage and possibly advantage over some of the other EPCs uh, in the solar space because uh, we have already, we have construction managers in place who are very familiar in um, the local municipalities in the local areas. They know how to deal with some of the union issues that we have to deal with, um, what the flavor and context is around certain permitting issues that may or may not be abundantly clear from day one. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, what we usually do is we partner one of our very experienced Mexican um, construction managers with um, some of our solar project managers, um, you know, and really have, a, I think, a, a rich opportunity uh, to share the depth of experience from building over 500 megawatts of solar around the world and bringing that know-how into Mexico where we already have boots on the ground um, and a, a very broad uh, EPC base and local procurement base and, and team that's ready to go. Do you do you find that you're getting as a you know I I characterize you guys as sort of one of the large scale EPCs who you know you're going to compete with the Iberdrolas and uh, of the world, um, not necessarily with some of the you know uh, we'll call it under fifty employees, mm -hmm. more scrappy EPCs that would be going after like one and five megawatt projects. Um, do, do you find that you have uh, a particular competitive advantage in um, in like the auction processes or do you go, is there, are there segments of the market where as a big company, you clients tend to go with an M&W scale company versus a small EPC mm -hmm. and what are the pros and cons of that in the marketplace? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think there are probably two, in my mind, there are two main um, advantages that we bring to the table on. Um, one is we're excellent problem solvers. So, um, in fact, I think we, we bring a lot to the table in kind of unique situations, especially working with our um, existing commercial and industrial customers uh, who have fairly sophisticated buildings and sophisticated building performance requirements, being able to get in there and really understand the constraints and the parameters around that building performance and the operational performance, and then use that to create and design a solar PV system and maybe integrate that into um, you know building heat and power efficiency opportunities and storage opportunities and other ways that we can create a more um, customized solution for our customers. And so that's an that's kind of the opposite of um, 
competing on the very, very large scale. It's more being able to be bespoke and to draw on, um, you know, these thousands of, of customized specialized engineers that we have within the company mm-hmm. to solve some, some, you know, different problems and some nuances, um, which makes us, I think, particularly well positioned to enter new markets and new emerging markets. So on the one hand, I think, you know, that, that, um, we may not be small and flexible and nimble, but at the same time, we're used to kind of coming in and really understanding complexity and breaking that down into manageable components. Um, and on the other hand, we work with enormous uh, on enormous projects requiring, uh, you know, a large balance sheet and significant bankability. And so frequently, we have the banks and the financial institutions themselves are asking for M and W to be included in the process and. So when there are large financing situations, um, you know, it's not always about getting absolutely the lowest cost. You also need to know that you're getting the best Mm. value. And that means having a good balance sheet standing behind the project. It's ensuring that you have, you know, top shelf uh, safety and environmental management practices um, and, you know, really are putting a a best of breed uh, product in the field. Um, which, which of course is absolutely critical as one of my colleagues said, you know, you might make a small error in a solar system, but, uh, in our nuclear division, there's really no margin for error. (laughs) (laughs) And so we do need to kind of adapt for each, uh, situation. And, uh, again, you know, we do have to be kind of scrappy and in the field, but at the end of the day, MNW is standing behind all of our work, and our seven thousand mm-hmm. employees are standing behind our work. That's a yeah, that's a lot to be able to lean to fall back on, right? I have just the sense that not only yourself, but the many uh, colleagues that you work with, there's a lot of brain trust there that you're able to glean from, and you have managed a number of uh, folks friends of mine, colleagues in the industry in various areas of development. As a developer, well, first and foremost for yourself as a manager of resources, and some of those resources are developers, but as a developer looking for an edge in the market, what signs do you think I would want to be looking for that would signal where my resources should best be spent? Right. If we think about Latin America at large, what do you think some of the macroeconomic signals or even U.S. market signals uh, are that uh, that I should be looking out for that help me gauge where I should be spending time? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And um, my crystal ball is not always spot on. But as you say, it's a matter of looking for the right signals. Um, and, and there are a number of different indicators that we need to look at. Um, ultimately, if we're doing large-scale projects and get, getting back to my uh, my points around uh, financeability and being able eventually to attract capital markets, um, you know, one of the first screens that we'll look at is uh, the transparency index, ease of doing business, uh, financeability, bankability, uh, all of those mm-hmm. those things that make it possible for us to do business in a country, um, and then to yeah. layer on top of that. How big is that population and that market and that growth potential? Um, you know, and and is this a place that we would the, the the where where if we make an investment, we'll actually be able to continue and to do more and more work there? That it's not going to be a one-time market. 
Um, and then the third thing that I look at is uh, the policy and regulatory environment. And, you know, I think there are a lot of very attractive potential markets out there. The policies, you know, in some cases the policies are right, but the rulemaking isn't right or the implementation isn't right. Or um, more more usually what I'm seeing now, um, particularly in, in our strategies in different markets, is one market is going to be really ideal for uh, utility scale installations and everything's going to be grid connected and, and basically the utility is your only customer. Mm-hmm. And then there are other markets where that whole sector is a little bit compromised um, but the commercial and industrial sector makes a ton of sense and customers are paying a yeah. fortune and you can come in and put a, a rooftop system on on their building and actually create some value to them. Yeah. Do you, and I'll, of course, I'll ask you for specifics when we get into hot or not, but... I want to, in the in the essence of uh, of time, we could I could continue to go into a lot more uh, detailed questions, but I'm going to transition now to the segment we call learning leadership and legacy, and we always start with what's on your nightstand. I hope that you uh, this hasn't caused an, uh, too much consternation on your part, but if you could name for us just a couple of books or blogs, <laughs> podcasts, not this one in particular. This is my only to. podcast, Anika. <laughs> <laughs> Just you know, just generally speaking, what uh, what resources, and in particular, I'm always curious, just what books you're reading, but what helps you understand sort of influences they, they color the way you see. Yeah, the world. well, my nightstand's probably not a very good indication. Uh, generally, it it grows and grows and grows until it gets to about a foot and a half, and then I just swipe sweep everything away. <laughs> um, and you know, the biggest thing for me in this new year is figuring out how to. Uh, work smarter and with better balance. And so I'm, I'm trying to charge my cell phone in a room that is not connected to my bedroom and yeah. um, to not bring my work home with me or into bed with me. So uh, in my nightstand, I like to be reading fiction or uh, inspirational mm. um, readings and stuff like that, you know, and, and really kind of try and decompress. And, and part of that, too, is my day usually starts at around five in the morning with calls to Europe and the Middle East. I have a little bit of a break in the mm. middle of the day, and then it picks up again at about five o'clock in the afternoon with calls to Asia Pacific. And mm. so I have, uh, I'm trying to get a lot more creative with how I use time and to make sure that I'm using time productively. With that said, you know there is there are some really good resources out there. This one is one of them, and I've I've learned so much just listening in on it in the last couple of sessions. You know, and in addition, then just trolling all of the um, listservs that come my way, of which I probably never get much past the headlines, but at least that mm-hmm. keeps me aware of what's going on. And then when someone brings up a story, I, I was like, oh yeah, I know what that, I know what you're talking about. I remember seeing that. Now tell me what that's about. <laughs> Is there anything that comes to mind that just pops in like Solar Plaza or something like that, that you regularly refer back to? Well, the great thing is I have a lot of people who have uh, nominated themselves as, as my personal clipping service. So, <laughs> 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 um, Not only do I get the Solar Plaza and the, the um, PV newsletter and, and Solar Buzz, but then I also get probably 20 emails a day of people saying, oh, look at this great thing that just happened. <laughs> 
the completely unreplicatable <laughs> process of Carmerardo's email. That's emails. right. <laughs> it, it is a disaster. I, I will admit to that. No. Well, uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that you can be as successful as Carmerardo and not feel like you have it totally together or are up to date on the latest book to read. No, and and I will say, um, you know, just kind of complete non sequitur. The greatest training in my life as a professional was uh, having children. Uh, you learn to yeah. let go of any semblance of being in control or organize oh, things, so but true? you certainly learn to deal with irrational people and <laughs> to adapt <laughs> and think fast on your feet. Gracious, <laughs> that is a that's a that's a great point. Well, what one thing do you consistently do that you feel yields the greatest impact or result in your personal or professional life? Um, to make time for mindfulness. I think mm. um, I am. I've you, been firing on a lot of cylinders for a long time. I'm a kind of constant list maker and task manager, and um, you know, it is around trying to be responsive to people and stay on top of things. Uh, it's very important to me if I make a commitment to deliver something, I, I really want to deliver it um, and not and, and make sure that people know that they can rely on me and, and that I have the integrity to be there and to be present and to be honest and to, to deliver what's expected of me. But what I've also found is uh, over the years, uh, it becomes very easy to to be so focused on getting your tasks done that you forget to look at whether or not they should be done. And um, I do try and pull back every so often, um, you know, to kind of look at the big picture and say, is this, is this the right path? Is, are these the right things? Are these really getting me to what, we, what I need to get to, what we as a company need to get to? Is it progressing us? Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, it's, it's very easy to fill your day with activities. Um, it's essential to clear those activities sometimes both for your mental health and your physical health um, but also to kind of pull back and and try and look at things from the big picture uh, of what you're trying to do with your career and with your work and then also why are we doing it <laughs> yeah yeah it's so it's so important and I think that we get caught up you know most of us are in this industry because we have a certain level of altruity of altruism in our in our nature and in the work that we're trying to accomplish and uh and I found that over the last year in particular mindfulness and more specifically meditating have been uh a key way to bring that focus in so I appreciate you you know really uh, opening up there and talking about how it is so important to ask, not only how can I get this done, but is it even important that I <laughs> <Right>. do? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And sometimes it's a matter of understanding where other people are at too. And um, you, know, you mentioned, mentioned M&W being 7,000 people. It's you know 7,000 people each trying to check off their to-do list. And uh, you know, I, yeah. I know sometimes I get requests for things that, that, they're just trying to get done. Um, but you do need to step back a little bit and say, well, let me mm -hmm. work with you on this and let's talk about this. And is this really what you're trying to get accomplished? <laughs> um, you know, and, and um, make sure, you know, kind of be there for each other and help people out too. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, what I call hot or not. 
I'll name a market and I've got a few here picked out. You spend 30 to 60 seconds on whether or not you think it's hot or not and why. All right. So we'll start as always with Brazil. Uh, Brazil is hot for the right kind of person. I absolutely love mm-hmm. Brazil. I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to get back down there. Uh, but fundamentally for an investor, for an international investor, I still think it's very complicated and not a great idea. I think for a domestic investor, mm-hmm. it can be fine. Um, for for a developer, the auction prices are very low. And I think it's going to be hard to deliver those. Um, and for the on the CNI space, I think it could be hot. So <laughs> it's really a question yeah. of yeah, you know, which of my many personalities you're asking. <laughs> well, let's talk about Colombia. Colombia, I'm excited about in the future. I don't think it's quite there yet, but I think we need to keep our eye on it. And um, you know, the the one thing with solar is it's it's not the best insulation. Um, there's still some structural issues with the tariff structure, especially given their reliance on on the oil and gas sector. Uh, but I think that mm-hmm. there's some kind of exciting f- pieces within their legislation and commitment, hopefully, to renewable energy. So it will be hot, but it's not there yet. Very good. What about Chile? Chile, I've we've backed backed away from um hot if you're already there although prices are falling fast uh, not a place to go into now it's also a very Mm -hmm. small market and so you know if you're not there yet it's only going to grow so so much is my feeling yeah so i I get the sense as well the boom the boom is over and it's uh, there are established players how about Argentina. Oh, I was hoping you would ask that one. I, you know, <laughs> near and dear to my heart, it's been uh, a, um, very painful for me that that has been such an impossible market to do any investing and mm-hmm. in finance in. Um, I'm I am cautiously very optimistic with the new um, president and the new uh, new political uh, structure that hopefully they will finally uh, clean things up a little bit. The signals uh, are so far good, but I think that a lot of the global financial markets have been burned and, and people are very cautious. Solar-wise, I think they've got good policies in place. And, you know, there, there's definitely a, a glimmer of hope there. And I think it could be a big market. It's not a huge population, but a fair amount of fair amount of industry there. So I am, uh, you know, cautiously optimistic that in the next year or so it will become uh, a lot more interesting. Yeah, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring here for just a moment, just reflecting on uh, one of the folks that we met down in Mexico and share an anecdote uh, before we move on. So I met a young uh, young man, actually two young men uh, in 2012 who were hot to trot on Chile, right? And they were basically just coming out of business school. Uh, I want to say UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. And we're starting a business called Solar Chile. And they were partnered with a very large local organization. And they had an interesting business model, but they were dead set that, you know what? We're going to forsake all these great opportunities we have for jobs in the US because we believe that solar is happening mm-hmm. now in Chile and now is the time. And lo and behold, a year later, first solar buys them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And you know the story. And um, I, so that story popped into my mind immediately when I met a very uh, intelligent young man in Mexico last week 
who is doing the same thing. Uh, he's Argentine. He just is finishing up his MBA mm-hmm. at Stanford. He could have any number of hedge fund, you know, multiple six-figure salaries, and he's throwing his hat in the ring to do utility-scale development in Argentina. And I ask myself, what if I missed that he hasn't? He's Argentine. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the lesson here in, in this segment of Hot or Not is you better have or be Argentine blood uh, in, in, your, in, your, in your mix there uh, if you intend to survive. But it does look like Argentina is going to be a problem. Yeah, I mean, you always have to have your good local partners. I, I, I have scratched my head all over the world you know, as I see these phenomenal announcements mm. about different countries in Africa and Asia. And I just think, yeah. wow, you know, the, the foresight of some of these companies to make those plays but then some of that is also yeah. a venture capital kind of approach. You know, you might go into a dozen right. countries and hope that one or two of them hits. Um, and that That's depends right. on what your business model is. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's move north. I'll hit a few more. How about Panama? Well, you know, I should probably turn back to you, Nico. I think you're the expert on Panama. <laughs> um, I I still think that it's an attractive market, but obviously with the merchant pricing, it's tricky. And with the PPA pricing, I think Panama is one of many countries that we've seen um, kind of get derailed by its auction process. Um, People get Mm. what I believe are perhaps unrealistic expectations around pricing, and they're not able to deliver, at least not in the time frame required. so, so yeah, true. I you know I I would like to see Panama be successful. And I also think it's a relatively small market, so there are only so many projects that are going to get done. Yeah, and I unfortunately think it's the land of smiling faces and nodding heads, and there's a lot of uh, and by that I mean you're going to have everybody tell you yes, it's possible, and yes, we want a PPA, and you're going to have no unsigned contracts, as has been the case in. Uh, across a lot of the organizations that we're familiar with in Panama over the last uh, 24 months. Well, I am positive that you have been visiting Honduras. Do you have an opinion on Honduras? I have neither visited nor really have an opinion um, as an EPC. Why was I so convinced? Well, you, you know, <laughs> my good friend and former colleague, uh, Kelly Dacey, it, it was a place ah, that, that was near be. and dear to her heart. So I just let her own sure. all of Honduras. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, for, for us looking, for us as an EPC looking at um, Central America, all of those countries were generally kind of relatively too small uh, for us to make a country entry strategy. And so we would have ended Mm -hmm. up kind of flying in, which in theory we could have done, but it's not exactly our business model. Um, And we have plenty of other countries in our 35 countries that uh, I think provide some very interesting solar opportunities. So uh, from my perspective, we we have uh, passed on them. Okay. Do you feel the same about the Caribbean, which ironically is how we ended up, how we originally met? That's right. That's right. Yeah. The Caribbean's really hard one for me because I feel strongly about microgrids and helping to create um, solar PV solutions on in islanded environments. Uh, but again, each and every one of those countries has its own legal framework. 
uh, and, and permitting yeah. framework and policy framework, and they're fairly small markets. And so for us to go in as a uh, EPC and be compliant as builder, um, you know, create some challenges. Now, we, we can always partner with people, and, and we frequently do. And, and in those markets, more than any other place, we really need to have a local partner. Um, I think there are some there are some great opportunities in the Caribbean, um, and I love to answer the phone and talk about them and think about them, um, but they're a little bit tricky to pursue on a proactive way. Mm. Last question, hot or not, Mexico? Hot. Hot, <laughs> um, you know. I, I that's that's after being there for three years and just being the perennial optimist. I really do think it's going to yeah. happen. I think it's it's got tremendous mm. potential. Um, you know, large population, large energy consumption. The fundamentals of the regulatory framework are in the right place. And once the tariff pricing gets stabilized and reflects a little bit better market pricing um, and kind of feels these auctions move through the system and hopefully um, better better transparent pricing on the tariffs, that uh, hopefully we'll see the right structure in place to see Mexico really take off. I couldn't agree more. Hey, Karin, I'm curious if you have uh, a Twitter account. Uh, I, I have a Twitter account and a Tumblr account, and I never check them. <laughs> <laughs> I try and keep up with my teenagers is what I try and do. <laughs> Definitely on LinkedIn. Okay, good. So if folks wanted to reach out, they could reach out through LinkedIn. Is there another way they might want to, if folks wanted to reach out? And just LinkedIn's base? really the, the best um, place, and I find that it's mm -hmm. really useful for all of us on the solar coaster to keep track of each other, um, yeah. aside from running into people <laughs> at conferences. And, um, you know, the, the mobile phone numbers are usually the same, but the emails change. <laughs> so I think yeah, LinkedIn exactly. is great. Yeah. Obviously, people are welcome to reach out to me at karin.berardo at mwgroup.net. But it's easier to remember LinkedIn. <laughs> Yeah, and Karin is K-A-R-I-N for those listening. Karin.Berardo at MW That's right. Group. Thank you. Excellent. Well, let's end today with a bold prediction. I'm going to ask you to polish off that crystal oh, ball boy. that we're speaking about. Well, one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? Yeah, you know, I think I think my prediction going forward will be for a lot more focus on the CNI space. Um, in a couple mm. of key markets where it where you know the legislation is correct it really speaks to one of the beauties of solar which is that it's uh, distributable and scalable and um yeah. especially as we see large utility scale systems go into so many markets and really stress out the grid getting back to basics and fundamentals behind the meter uh, is really one of the things that solar is so good at, um, both for industrial applications that have some energy security issues and energy consistency issues, uh, as well as in markets where just saving money is a good idea. And increasingly, <laughs> you know, companies care and they want to see renewables. They don't want to pay a big premium, but I think we're getting to a place where they don't have to. So my expectation would be to see a lot more activity on the CNI space and in the you know financing and some creative solutions around that. Well, I couldn't agree more. I, uh, I'm glad to see that our 
predictions alive. Excellent. Karin, yeah, Karin, it's just a pleasure to have a chance to spend time with you as I, I covet every moment that I can get with you. So thank you for, again, oh, for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, Nico. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the show. And uh, when you decide to expand into other emerging markets, whether it's Southeast Asia or uh, the Middle East or Africa, I look forward to coming back. Hey, welcome now back to the end of the conversation with Karin Berardo. But it doesn't have to be the end of our conversation with each other. I hope you do like this new format. And if you do, or even if you don't, would you head over to Twitter or LinkedIn and shoot me a message? I love the encouragement and even a little criticism. Just search on Twitter for at Nico Mayo, that's N-I-C-O-M-E-O, or on LinkedIn, my name Nico Johnson comes up to the top of the search list as far as I can tell. You can also join the mailing list over at mysuncast.com where you'll get info from yours truly the morning every new episode is available. If you do have a suggestion for someone you think should be featured on the show, I'd really love to hear it. I'm starting up the interviews and looking for more folks just like Karin. Or maybe just like you. Shoot me an email, nico at mysuncast.com. And hey, one more thing before you go. We continue to hold regional meetings to refine the purpose for the Latin America and Caribbean Solar Alliance. And we welcome your input. If you were at any of our events in 2015, thank you. We're gearing up again for this year's InterSolar North America, where we'll be hosting another meetup and a private happy hour networking event. Go to www.laxa.org. That's L-A-C-S-A dot O-R-G to jump on our mailing list and join our LinkedIn group. Both of those places will be getting updates from me on a regular basis. In the coming week, I'll be sending out mailing list info on the upcoming event, along with a link to the sign-up form. So head over and subscribe today. The mailing list can be found by going to www.laxa.org. And that's it for this week. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Suncast. And thanks for listening. Until next time, stay informed, my friends, and stay tuned.